Well, today we're wrapping up our series, Divided We Fall. And I'm not sure what you thought the series was going to be, a, be about, but I wanted to take you to the root of the issues that we're experiencing as a nation. And as Pastor Jesse mentioned, even in the church. And I hope that you've been uh, absorbing the truth that I've been speaking over the last several weeks. And I want to encourage you, if you've missed a message, especially those of you that are joining us online as well, I, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel at RLCSAC TV, catch up, get caught up, and be encouraged and built up. Just some of my takeaways over the last several weeks. Again, I love character studies. This is what you see on the wall. Abraham, Nehemiah, we did this series a couple of summers ago. I love diving in what I call the divine mentors, the life of divine mentors, because we can not only learn lessons and learn about leadership, but listen, Christ is revealed in each and every one of their lives. And how many know when we study real men and women of the Bible, we can become more like Jesus? And so that's been my intention. I want us as a church to become more like him. Listen, I want to reflect, listen, not just Jesus, but his body. Come on, his bride in this hour. And so some of my takeaways has been this. Even even when the wisest and greatest leaders fail us, God will not disappoint us. Also took away that true success is not defined by our appearance, it's defined by our obedience. And we learned, and this is a definition I got from Timothy Keller, and I'm going to actually keep this in front of me and continue to keep it in front of me. But we learned that an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. How many know we need to cast down everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? And that includes false imaginations. This week, I actually had a false imagination. Y'all need to pray for your pastor. I came Wednesday morning and I got a text. And and, and I got a text early in the morning. I'm just telling you, when a pastor gets a text early in the morning asking for a meeting, I just get nervous. And my mind took off, y'all. My mind took off, what could it be, and it's going to be this. By the time the prayer meeting, and God actually spoke to me in the prayer meeting, he says, you need to cast your cares upon me. And so I began to, the whole prayer, it took my, my whole prayer just to get through this text because I had a false imagination. I, I called the person, they said, man, I just calling to tell you I love you, I'm praying for you. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> We also talked about the heart being a terrible hiding place for those idols. Listen, that our words alone can tell us what we worship. Listen, our life, the expression of our life, the fruit of our life, what we're producing as believers points points to who and what we're worshiping. And then last week, I just touched on that. Even in the midst of division, we're going to dive deeper in this today, even in the midst of of division, God is able to reveal himself as divine. We're going to talk today about the enemies of a divided heart. The enemies of a divided heart. We're going to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 11 where we left off last week. I'm not going to take time to read the entire rest of the chapter, but I'm going to highlight the three enemies in these verses. 1 Kings eleven fourteen, we see the first enemy It says, and the Lord raised up an adversary or an enemy against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. 
He was of the royal house in Edom. Enemy number two, verse 23. God also raised up an adversary, an enemy to him, Reason, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his master, had a desert, king of Zabah. Verse 26, enemy number three. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zirdah, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also lifted his hand up against the king. And then our New, pa- New Testament passage for today is Galatians 6, 7 to 10. Don't be misled. How you know we need to be spirit-led in this hour? Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit. Do I got some Spirit-pleasing people in the house this morning? Those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. We sang about that this morning. Verse 9, so let's not get tired. Come on, how are you exhausted? Let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. I'm just feeling like it's just about time for Real Life Church. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. It leads me to my first point. A divided heart opens the door for an already defeated foe to find his way back in your life. A divided heart opens the door for an already defeated foe to find its way back in your life. What I wanted us to see as we wrap up the series today is to understand that the Lord had already put the surrounding enemies of Israel under Solomon's father, King David's feet. He had already done it. Solomon inherited inherited a kingdom that had peace on every side. It's just like you and I. Listen, Jesus paid a high price for our peace. He defeated the enemy 100%. When we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, listen, you might not yet have everything in order on the outside, but you are guaranteed by the power of the Holy Spirit to have 100% of his peace on the inside. Solomon inherited a kingdom that had peace on every side. And listen, for those of you who say, you know what, I've got peace on the inside, Pastor Dean, but I don't see peace on the outside. I just want to tell you, declare and release the peace of God that's in you, in the world that's around you, and watch it begin to align up and fall in place. 1 Kings 5, 3-4 shows us this. He said, this is Solomon. He says, you know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. No enemies and no mishaps. No enemies 
no mishaps. And listen, Solomon had the opportunity to rest in the victories of his father David, but instead he allowed his decisions, his disobedience, and a divided heart to stir up his enemies. Like, can I ask you something? Listen, are you living in the victory of Jesus? Are you living in the victories or are you stirring up your enemies? You see, today as believers, we have a choice, come on, to rest in the Father's victory through his Son, Jesus Christ, who conquered death, hell, sin, and the grave, or we can make dumb decisions, or we can disobey, or we can allow the enemy come and divide our heart and open a door to a devil that's already been defeated. It says the Lord raised up enemies. It didn't say the enemy came in like a flood. It said the Lord raised up enemies. He raised up enemies that were one at one time defeated under King David's rule. They were one time defeated to oppose a heart that was divided. Now, why would he do that to poor old Solomon? You see, the enemy who has been stripped, folks, if you don't know this, he has been stripped of all authority. The enemy can only operate in the authority that you and I as believers fail to walk in. In other words, the authority that you don't use can and will be used against you. So Solomon's refusal to do things God's way caused the Lord to raise up an enemy to resist him and remove him from a place of rest. You see, some of us are not resting in this season, not because you haven't had time to. I don't know about you, but seven months of rest is long enough for me. But some of us are not resting because we're refusing to do things God's way. Some of us are not resting because we're reaping what we've been sowing. Some of us are not resting because we're succumbing to fear. Some of us are not resting simply because we're not trusting God in this season. I'll never forget this. I was in Bible college. I'll never forget this. We were studying spiritual warfare. Our teacher's name is Dennis Peacock. He's well into his 70s. Got to reunite with him just a couple of years ago. But I'll never forget the statement that he made while I was at this spiritual warfare seminar. He said 85% of what Christians call spiritual warfare is actually due to their own disobedience. You see, our disobedience to God's word and the spirit-led life, how many know the Holy Spirit, listen, if we yield to him, will guide us and lead us into all truth. He'll go before us and make a way where there seems to be no way. Our disobedience is followed by the consequences of our decisions. We read that, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Everybody say always. Always. In the Greek, that means always. (laughs) The word mocked means outwitted, outfoxed, or outsmarted. 
Some of us think we're going to get away with it. I was the, uh, the house monitor. In, in, three, in two years, I lived with 21 different roommates. And my second year in Bible college, they put me in charge of the house. And we had a saying around the house, you can't lie to the Holy Ghost. I mean, guys would get caught. I mean, it didn't matter what they did. They would get caught doing what they thought they were going to get away with. You see, also our disobedience leads us to a place where we can choose defeat or discipline. You see, God's desire, listen to my heart, listen to God's heart today. God's desire is not to punish you. I grew up in a, in a Catholic home, so my, the, the perception of God that I had to get my mind renewed is I always thought God was ready to punish me. I felt like if I walked into a church building, the roof would cave in. How many know somebody that has said that? God's desire is not to punish you. He desires to develop you. God's not wanting to punish you. He's trying to get your attention so he can prepare you for his plans and promises for your life. Hebrews 12, 5 to 7 and 10 through 11. And have you forgotten the encouraging words? How do you need an encouraging word today? Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. But God's discipline is always good for us. Say it's good for us. So that we might share in his holiness. Verse 11, no discipline is enjoyable. While it's happening, it's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Can we just do a little time out right here for just a moment? Can we as a church stop giving the devil credit for the discipline that's from the Lord? God's wanting to develop his body and develop his church. He's wanting a mature church, not an immature church. People will ask Amy and I all the time, how did you guys produce such incredible young adults? And I'll look at them straight in the face and I said, we spanked them. We spanked them. It didn't feel good in the moment. Mariah's in the service today. She'd freak out. She'd start crying as soon as I unbuckled the bell. Hey, this is no lie. I didn't even have to spank Mariah. All I had to do was go like this. She'd be like, oh, I'm sorry now. It was painful, but it produced something. That was far beyond. Listen, how many of you guys heard that? It's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt. Sometimes, y'all, I'm just going to tell you, sometimes I lost it. And I had to go to my kids and tell them I was sorry. But listen, God was producing something in them that I could not even think would happen in their lives. Let me real quick give you three enemies that divide our heart, and I believe that are dividing the heart 
of his body in this hour. Number one, it's the second point, but the first enemy. A divided heart is an open invitation for the enemy of bitterness and resentment to return. 1 Kings eleven fourteen, and the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad, the Edomite. He was of the royal house in Edom. Now, who is Hadad? These are those names you just kind of skip over. You're like, I got to get through the end of this chapter, get my Bible reading done for the day. You just skip over all these things. But this is so awesome when you get into Scripture, how it just keeps unfolding and unfolding and connecting. And this dot is connected to this dot. And we've seen this divine thread through all these stories. It's absolutely amazing. And listen, don't be discouraged if you're like, man, I'm reading my Bible. It's so dry. Like, first of all, get out of the book of Leviticus, right? <laughs> but who is Hadad? You can read about Hadad in 2 Samuel 8, 13 to 14. Not going to take time to read it. 1 Chronicles 18, 12 to 13. Hadad was of Edom's royal family. And he was the only survivor of a massive defeat when David's army destroyed the Edomites and killed, listen to this, 18,000 men, Edomite men. You say, well, why would he do that? Because, listen, the Edomites wanted to destroy Israel. They were encroaching on Israel's territory, and David met them and said, no, this is the land that the Lord has promised me. Now, Hadad was a young boy at the time, and he managed to escape with a group of servants to Egypt. And when Hadad got to Egypt, he found incredible favor from Pharaoh. In fact, he grew up in the house of Pharaoh. And when he got older, he got to marry Pharaoh's sister-in-law. He married Pharaoh's sister-in-law and he had a family. He had a son. And that son grew up in the royal family of Pharaoh. Hadad, however, Continue, imagine the trauma of a little boy seeing the massacre that occurred before his eyes. As Hadad grew, he continued to harbor strong bitterness against Israel. And the moment the news came that David had died, Hadad returned to Edom and created trouble for Solomon. Now, why did he create trouble for Solomon? Because Solomon opened the door for bitterness to come back. 1 Kings eleven twenty one to 22. But when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to my own country. But Pharaoh said to him, what have you lacked with me that you are now seeking to go to your own country? And he said to him, only let me depart, depart. The Lord raised up Hadad, listen, who had total favor and lacked nothing in Egypt to depart in bitterness and to come back and rob Solomon of the peace his father David had paid for. Hadad, his name means strong and mighty bitterness. Bitterness. We know that all too well as believers. We let bitterness dry us up. We let bitterness, come on, we let bitterness Stir up resentment in our heart. Bitterness is anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly. 
Hey, hey, dad, what I want you to catch is, hey, dad, left a better place for a bitter place because he was blinded by the bitterness of a battle gone bad and returned with resentment towards Solomon. You see, some of us are battling bitterness today because you've allowed something the Lord took care of a long time ago to crop back up and cause you trouble, cause you anxiety, cause you to worry about it. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. At by it, many become defiled. You and I will have a choice after the elections, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment at the end. You and I will have a choice after the elections to be bitter or to trust it's the Lord's battle. The second enemy, my third point, my second enemy is a divided heart stirs up the enemy of hate and harm to come against our peace and prosperity. Verse 23, God also raised us, raised up as an adversary to him, reason. The son of Eliada, who had fled from his master, Hadadezer, king of Zabah. You see, the second enemy the Lord sent Solomon's way was reason. Who is reason and what does his name mean? Reason is defined as the prince of hatred. Hatred is the intense dislike or ill will towards someone. Can I just say this? Listen, I don't care who it is. Listen, as believers, listen, there should be no ill will for anybody. Listen, coming out from this congregation at least. I love the golf claps. Keep them coming. (laughs) Listen, hate is a strong word, but if you read 2 Samuel 8, 2 Samuel 10, 1 Chronicles 18, you'll find out why reason hated David so much. Rezin served under the king, had a desert. Man, that name is hard to say. I've been practicing it all morning. But when Hadadezer encroached, On the territory of Israel, David met him down by the river. And when he got there, David took a thousand chariots, 7,000 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. And then he did this he hamstrung, in other words, he crippled all of their horses and left only a hundred to pull their chariots. Now the Syrians were standing back and they were watching this from afar and they came to try to rescue King Hadadezer and his army. And what happened was is that David took out and struck down 22,000 of those men. How many know the Lord gave David victory wherever he went? Don't mess with David, right? But reason somehow escaped the battle and he gathered a gang of fellas just like him, filled with hatred and wanting to do ill will towards others. Listen, can I just say this? As a believer, sometimes people hate on you intensely just because heaven's on your side. John 15, 18, Jesus said it himself. He said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. What I want us to see at this point is that, hey, dad, 
Come on, the enemy of bitterness and reason, the enemy of hatred, could only take back the territory that Solomon willfully surrendered through his disobedience. They could only return from defeat because Solomon let the enemy underneath his feet. You guys remember that song? I think it was, I don't know. I don't know where it came out. It was Hosanna Tapes. You guys remember Hosanna Tapes? <clears throat> you remember that song? I went to the enemy's camp. Oh, come on. We got into that song. We was like, when that song came on, you was like, we went to the enemy's camp. And I took back what he stole. Come on, do I have some devil stomping Christians in the room? Come on, that are just tired of the enemy taking up your territory, possessing your promise. I want to tell you today, I think it's time to serve the enemy an eviction notice that he has no authority. He has no place in this church, in this city, in this state, and in this nation. Can I just challenge us for a moment? Where are you currently giving place to the enemy in your life where Jesus has already served the enemy an eviction notice? Solomon, at this point now, who had peace on every side, now he has anger eating away from him in the north, and he's got bitterness biting him in the behind from the south. And we get to our third enemy. I believe it's the worst enemy. A divided heart allows the one you entrusted in your house to become the enemy of envy that tears down your house. Verse 26, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zerdah, a servant of Solomon whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also lifted his hand up against the king. The most dangerous adversary the Lord raised up against Solomon was Jeroboam, for he led a rebellion from within. From within. Can I challenge you today? How many of you know sometimes your worst enemy is within you? Sometimes it's you and nobody else. Sometimes it's someone close to you. And I believe the biggest enemy of the church is currently not the deceiver on the outside. It's the decisions, it's the disobedience, and it's the divided hearts of believers on the inside. Listen, and it's time to throw down our idols. It's time to cast down the false ideologies, listen, that we've so been easily taught and held on to. We've got to throw this stuff down. We've got to get violent with our idols. we got to get violent. If you read the Old Testament, I'm telling you, they didn't play. Read King Josiah. Man, we're talking ashes. There was nothing left to idolatry when King Josiah first took over. It was just dust when he, was, when he got through. Jeroboam's name means enlarge, enlarges or struggler for the people. Or the people have become numerous. In other words, he did everything in his power to get people to follow him when all he had to do was trust the promise. He had envy. 
Envy is a feeling of discontent or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or blessings. How many of you have ever been envious? Just me. <laughs> you read the story of Jeroboam starting in verse 26. and You see that a prophet named Ahijah met him along the road. And he said, Jeroboam, I've got good news. You guys remember the cloth I tore last week? That was Ahijah's robe. He took off his brand new, come on, sport coat that he had just bought from the mall. And he meets Jeroboam and he, he begins to tear his sport coat to shreds. And he says, Jeroboam, I'm telling you what the Lord's going to do for you. Because of King Solomon's disobedience, he's about to give you, let's count them, one. Two, I think that might be three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. He says, You're gonna get twelve, I mean, ten, you're gonna get ten tribes of Israel. And Jeroboam, check this out. It comes with the same promises, the same blessing, the same favor. All you have to do is believe the promise and trust in God's timing. And these two over here, we're going to give to King Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Now listen what happens in the story. I'm fast forwarding it for you. Every promise of God. This is what Jeroboam didn't understand. He doesn't understand that every promise of God comes with the process of God. Jeroboam tried to enlarge his influence, listen, before God anointed him as king. And instead, he lifted up his hand against King Solomon. Jeroboam could have looked at King David's life. You guys remember? David, too, was chased by a wicked king. Had every right to kill him. Had every, had every right to put him to death. But David had a conviction. You know what? He understood, listen, that the anointing, come on, when you have an anointing, it takes a process. He understood that it, it was God's timing, not his timing. And this is what it says. I believe it's in 1 Samuel 24, 6 and 10. He said, David would not lift his hand against God and God's anointing. And here we find in 1 Kings chapter 11 that Jeroboam, the servant in Solomon's house, lifts his hand against God's anointed. You see, the danger of a self-fulfilled prophecy is that you're self-appointed and not God's anointed. 1 Kings 11.40 says Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam. Jeroboam, Jeroboam, how many know you get a good word like that? You want to tell everybody. Oh, just me again. You guys, come on. You get a word, come on. You get a word and you say, hey, you know what the prophetic word was for me? <laughs> come on, Jesus, right? Like, right? We want, and this was Jeroboam. He was telling the whole kingdom, guess what, y'all? I'm going to be king of ten tribes. Ten tribes, that's right, ten tribes. One, two, three, four. He just started counting them. You see, the one that served Solomon began to sabotage Solomon. The one that he admired began to afflict him. The one that he trusted became the one that treated him disrespectfully. 
And the one Solomon relied on rebelled against him right underneath his nose. And ultimately, Solomon allows the enemy of his divided heart to divide his house. Can I just tell you this? You can't be anointed and divided at the same time. You wonder why the church doesn't have any power? You wonder why the church has no anointing and we're not seeing miracles, signs, and wonders? It's a divided heart. And who bears the responsibility of that? Listen, there's no president, there's no judge, there's no anybody, congressman, senator, city council member, listen, that is responsible for that. You and I are responsible for, listen, a unified heart, not a divided heart. Jesus said, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. The enemy, listen, he has so intricately, and he didn't just do it in 2020, y'all. He has so intricately woven, listen, his ideologies, his schemes, the Bible say in Ephesians 6. He's so intricately woven his plan, listen, that now we find ourselves biting each other. Come on, bitter, hating on one another, envious. And how does that work out? Well, if my party... Psalm 33 teaches this, this. Psalm 133 reveals the Lord releases the anointing and he commands the blessing only where brother and sisters are united, not divided. You see, in 2020, and our worship team can start playing. In 2020, we've been confronted with so many things and our heart has and is going to be continued to be tested. And can I just ask you this? Are you, as a believer, going to allow your heart to be divided by the enemy or united with Jesus? Listen, let's not just talk about being united with our brothers and sisters. Is there anything between you and Jesus? Is there anything between you and your God? Will you allow bitterness and resentment to trouble you? Will you allow intense hatred and ill will to distress you? And will you allow envy and discontentment to tear down your house and God's house? You see, my last point is this. Don't allow the enemies of a divided heart to cause you to give up, give in, or give up. Because it's the Lord calling us as his body to grow up. This Tuesday, voters will select a president of the United States of America for the 59th time. This is our privilege, and I've talked about it, and responsibility as citizens. 
We may or not may know the outcome by Tuesday evening, but we can assume that regardless, because the enemy has woven his scheme in this whole thing, we can assume that regardless of who wins, there will be angst, unrest, contesting, and even possibly demonstration. Our church, however, should know that whatever the outcome of the election is, the vision and mission of our church will remain the same. We will continue to be a church that contends to look like heaven. We will continue to be a church that contends to live like heaven. Come on, we will continue to be as a church, lead like heaven. And I'm going to add a fourth one. We will be a church, no matter what happens, that loves like heaven. Listen, so when the president, you can say standing, because I'm going to ask you to stand in a minute anyway. When the president takes office, he and this country need a healthy church. Because a divided nation is discouraging. But listen, a divided church is devastating. Listen, and you might not understand. Listen, you might not understand or even know all the decisions I've made, the things I've said and not said, but I'm on the Lamb's agenda, not anybody else's agenda. Not even the pastor up the road. I'm following God. I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. Listen, God called me to pastor real life, not any other life. God is in control. He's in control of the universe. He's in control of our nation. He's in control of our families and our very lives. No matter what the election outcome is, he's the one in charge. Regardless of who holds the governing seat in any nation, any nation, read the book. Read the Bible. There were more evil kings than righteous ones. Hello. And Christ. Come on, Christ still found his way through 14 generations. He still found his way. Come on, in the threads. Come on, Jesus came. Jesus came. As a church, listen, don't believe the lie of the enemy. As a believer, we never lose hope. Listen, and we're never without help. Never without hope and never without help. Because we serve King Jesus. We serve King Jesus. And so I'm asking us to end this service in prayer. Come on, will you just lift up holy hands right now? I'm going to ask Pastor Brandon to come. And listen... No, I don't care what order. Whatever's on your heart, I want to pray for peace. Not a temporary peace, but a peace, come on, that's dwelling up and rising on the inside. I want to pray for safety. Listen, if demonstrations and all that break out, so what? He's our strong tower. Come on, he's our refuge. He's our rock. Listen, I want to pray for unity. Listen, not a false unity. I'm not settling for a false unity. Listen, I want the oil of heaven running down the beard. Come on, of Aaron, from my head to my feet. And I want to pray for just, listen, 
Listen, you can pray these things over any candidate. Listen, over your nation, I want righteousness. Hello. I want justice. Hello. God will have his way. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then I want to pray for a spiritual revival. Listen, God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. Let's not grow weary in well-doing. Come on, let's not grow weary. Because if we, if we don't give up, come on, how we know we're going to reap our harvest. Come on. Can you lift up holy hands? Come on, and I just want you, if you have your spiritual language, maybe you have your spiritual language, will you release that? If not, I just want you to pray over, I want you to pray unity, justice. Come on, those things I just listed, safety, all of those things, will you? Come on, lift your voice, don't listen to me. Let's lift our voice as Pastor Brandon comes. Come on, pray, church. Pray, church.